0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on our latest installment of Culture and Compliance Chronicles, a podcast series focused on the behavioral sciences approach to risk management. I'm Tina Yu, a litigation and enforcement associate at Robes & Gray. On this episode, which is the first of a two-part discussion, I am joined by my colleagues to discuss data and behavioral sciences, as well as navigating data privacy.
1: Hi, I'm Rowan Matthew. I'm a co-lead in the firm's data privacy and cybersecurity practice. Based
2: in the London office. Uh, I'm Ed Black, uh, a partner uh, based in Robes and Gray's Boston office. I'm a global lead of the uh, technology practice and data practice. and I have a transactional focus. I focus on uh, deals in the technology field, including data deals.
0: Just to frame our conversation, why are we talking about data and behavioral sciences right now? Um, why, why are we linking behavioral science and data? Why is that becoming an important part of you know what corporations are doing nowadays and how are we using data in behavioral science?
3: It's a really good question, Tina, and I think it's something that we can sometimes take for granted. Um, behavioral science and its appeal and its effectiveness is really primarily based on Looking at the way people actually behave rather than a hypothetical idea of how one might expect them to behave. And so to understand how people actually behave, data is key. And we're in a universe now where there is more data available about people, and organisations than ever before. So data basically provides feedback, and this can be through surveys or monitoring, and that really gives us the building blocks to develop behavioural science methods that can engage with these and achieve effective outcomes. Data also informs organisations' priorities, their resource allocation, their monitoring, and even who to check in with um, in terms of developing lines of reporting.
0: What I find really interesting in that is because nowadays corporations are investing more and more into data analytics technology um, and those platforms really are growing by leaps and bounds in terms of their capabilities. So I think what it boils down to is we're just able to use data in more ways than ever before. Um, We're able to play with the data. We're able to use it to spot trends. We're able to use it to identify risk areas that we probably might not have even been aware of in the past just because of this increasing development in AI capabilities. And now there is a lot of talk, obviously, coming out of all these technologies and platforms with big data and how it can be used. And what do you think that means for behavioral sciences and compliance? I
3: think it's a it's a really exciting time to be looking at it. Um, we are, as you described, seeing a massive growth of compliance platforms that are utilizing data. And I'm sure many listeners will have heard pictures from, from such platforms about the the new techniques that they can apply. I think the the thing about big data analytics is that Again, thinking about the fact we have more data available than ever before, this vast amount of data can be used to gain insights from a variety of data sources. So you can link source A plus source B and help identify patterns that an individual on their own may not be able to, and that can be relevant for compliance as well as a host of other reasons. It's generally perceived as a way in which we can improve the way we manage risk. And the other aspect about using these sorts of analytics is that they can respond really quickly. They're very nimble compared to um, traditional ways of approaching sort of compliance analysis. A lot of... Institutions and organisations are utilising data analytics in their market monitoring programs to, to spot trends, to identify spikes and unusual transactions. We're also seeing it with the regulators, where the regulators receive huge amounts of data through regulatory reporting from firms, and they are very openly saying we are going to synthesise this data with the information we already have, and we're going to supervise much more effectively because we're just going to know more. We're going to. Be be able to put all of this data together to get a much more accurate picture of what's going on. Um, we're already seeing it with the banks who are using data analytics to achieve deeper regulatory compliance analysis. But of course, this has to be balanced against um, issues around transparency, how that data is used, and what sort of ethical and legal considerations we need to take into account in this, um, whether it's in the context of automated decision making, use of personal data and, of course, the tension between the GDPR and other data protection laws. There's also this issue about sort of where data is located, how it's processed, who's responsible for it, what do we tell people about it, and transferring data um, between jurisdictions. Um, I think Rowan's going to address that a bit later in light of the the latest SREMS 2 decision. So it's an exciting time, but it's a complex time as everyone's wanting to take the
0: benefits but manage the risks around using this as well. Agree completely. And we will be turning back a bit more to the risk management side of data in a bit, but Ed, right now I'm actually quite curious to get your opinion on kind of the other side of data that we see, um, namely the commercialization of data more generally. Um, I mean, we now see and hear about organizations using big data to determine and predict customer behavior and kind of utilizing that. How is that uh, playing out for you and
2: what you're seeing in your work? Uh, sure. Well, that that is, in a, in a way, it's just a commercial take on some of the trends. First, just against the baseline trends over the past, say, five to 10 years. There really hasn't been a revolution of any kind in the, in the math, in statistical science. Uh, the places we've seen a revolution that has really brought data forward are first in the level of available computational capacity, So now the uh, computational capacity necessary to do high-end statistics is available for most people on their smartphone. Uh, In other words, it's a pervasive capability. Anyone who has access to the data and the skill can start doing data analytic analysis. The second place we've seen a sea change is in the availability of the data itself. So 10, 15 years ago, if you wanted to do a large statistical analysis, a big portion of your challenge was collecting the data. Now that most human activity, at least most commercial activity, is carried out through an automated digital platform, day-to-day purchases made through a digital platform, uh, uh, all of your uh, you know checking the weather, uh, communications with friends through social media. all of these digital platforms are just automatically monitoring behavior. And so suddenly, suddenly over five to 10 years, we've gone from a world where gathering data was a challenge to a world where we are swimming in a sea of data and regulating the use of the data is the challenge. And then finally, between computational capacity and vastly available data, we've now seen uh, an academic focus and a market focus on applying these tools. And so what's happened from a commercial perspective is that data which for quite some time has always sat on what a company might call the liability side of its balance sheet. That is, collecting data, storing data, using data has always been an issue where you needed to monitor compliance with certain regulatory regimes of one type or another to avoid liability. That data has also now migrated to the asset side of the balance sheet. That data is an opportunity to generate income. That data is an opportunity to generate equity value. We even have clients now who are collateralizing data and borrowing against data assets. All are things happening on the sort of asset side of a company's balance sheet. And so suddenly there's a huge uptick in commercial activity of uh, all types because there are now these robust uh, markets and applications for data that just didn't uh, previously exist.
0: Thanks, that That's really interesting to hear from you. And now that we are getting these vast amounts of data, and we understand it's being commoditized, and um, organizations are probably utilizing similar behavioral science theories to this data to understand how consumers are thinking um, and influencing their decisions and, and their marketing, et cetera. What are some of the changes or impact that you see based on that transition?
2: Well, a few things. First, as I mentioned a second ago, The development of independent markets for data has created a situation where data can have its own value inside a company. Uh, Five, 10 years ago, if a shoe company were collecting data to help it sell shoes, people would say, well, that's important data. But the value is fully reflected in the revenue generated from the sale of the shoes. That data has no other value. Uh, We're already taking account for the value of the data. Now we look at that very same data in that very same company, and we say that data can be liquidated, sold, licensed, and used in many other ways. Suddenly, it has a much more dramatic value on its own. Now you can sell it, borrow against it, do a series of other things. And all of this has migrated data into a whole new regulatory framework. So now that data has its own value, is in its own transactions, you see a lot of government interest and making sure that the collection of data, the storage of data, and the use of data is appropriately regulated in the particular commercial or industrial context. Of course, you know, widely known, widely observed healthcare data, financial services data, very much in the same category, but we're also seeing evolution of the law around data in uh, uh, more commercial settings uh, involving Uh, day-to-day consumer transactions involving company-level transactions, we have tax authorities around the world looking at data transfers as a potential independent stream of taxation revenue. Uh, And so, as data becomes an independent value, as data moves into independent data transactions, the regulatory framework responds, and each and every one of those contexts is finding the regulatory environment uh, increase and grow. And of course, the places that have always been uh, focus points uh, healthcare, financial services, government contracting, and government activity, and so on uh, it's expanding quite dramatically in those areas, but all across the board as well.
0: Thanks, Ed. That's really interesting to hear. And I, we will be delving into the regulatory perspectives a bit more, um, but I, I just want to focus on this area for just one more question. And I am curious because. We're talking about regulation. We're talking about this new world where we're swimming in all sorts of data, and, and there's so many different uses um, and so many applications for it. But then, where do we draw the line? Where, where do we say, "Well, here's the information that was an, I originally intended to give, and now is here's the information that you, a company, has been able to glean through analytics and technology." Um, and, and that type of analysis. So when do we draw the line and say, well, this is what I consented to, and this is okay, but when you cross the line, that is becoming abusive of data?
2: You know, that's a great question, and it's, of course, it, it's at the heart of the regulatory framework, and it's also at the heart of everyone's personal interest in the question. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is, if you have a smartphone in your pocket, uh, uh, and you use it the way most people use it, that is, I, I certainly don't, uh, when I download an app and get the option to read the terms and conditions, I certainly don't read them in detail. Uh, I don't think anyone does. And so uh, the world is already collecting about you information on all of your movements, all of your communications, and all of your transactions. And you've probably consented to most of it in ways you may not even be fully aware of. So. Uh, there's a fundamental fairness question here that I think the political community, the economic community, the, the social and cultural community has not yet, you know, fully answered. Uh, thinking about though the specific question of how we sort of see that from a legal point of view, then there are some bright lines that you cannot cross, and we already see uh, recognition that if data is gathered illegitimately. In violation of some of these bright lines, then uh, uh, there'll be an immediate reaction. So, for example, uh, in the uh, States, we're starting to see people looking at the way information is gathered for use in trading securities. And we've seen a small string of cases, sometimes referred to as outsider trading cases. This is where uh, someone gathers information wrongfully, not in the old school way of wrongfully, not by approaching an insider and convincing them to give you secret information about a company. That's the classic insider trading. But instead, by hacking systems and gathering information about a company without corrupting a human, but by hacking through a firewall, now you still have information you shouldn't have. It's still harmful to the market for you to be trading on that, yet classic insider trading doesn't cover it because there's no human who breached a duty. And we've seen a couple of US cases where outsider trading has been a basis for securities liability because of an illegitimate data source. Uh, And I think you're you're seeing uh, similar trends in commercial uses of data. We've had a couple of cases involving web scraping, uh, 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 one now uh, headed for the Supreme Court in the US, uh, where the legitimacy of gathering data without the authorization of a website publisher by scraping that web publication is a question of whether or not is that crossing a bright line. Uh, Again, at the end of the day, a larger question of how in the world are we going to create some basic rights around the avatar of each of us that exists in the data world, uh, that, of course, is way down the road, and that's a really interesting question. The law is nowhere near that. Right now, we're just looking at a few of these bright lines in specific settings.
0: Thanks. Ed. A lot of food for thought, it sounds like. And I think on that note, that actually um, is a good leeway to transition into more of the uh, risk management side of things. We've been discussing kind of how big data is playing a very large role, understandably, in our lives. And how are we going to be able to balance that with privacy and data gathering and, and kind of this murky new world that we're all living in right now?
4: Thanks, Tina. I I think that there is a tension between data protection law and and the use of big data analytics, particularly for commercial purposes. And and this brings up a a whole host of questions. Um, But the biggest question is is probably how do organisations make sure that they're fulfilling their obligations under data privacy laws, while still making sure that they have meaningful data for analysis that's helpful? Um, Who's the gatekeeper in determining whether data collection and analysis is proper but still effective, what, what are the guidelines, what, what safeguards should there be? Um, Rowan, what, what are your thoughts on, on that?
1: It's an interesting one, listening to what Ed was saying as well, you know, the fact that we have this sea of data now that, that's being generated and we've got the, the ability to analyse it. Yeah, the fact that um, our shopping habits, our checking the weather, our checking in with friends are, are all sort of generated and supposedly statistical throws up an interesting question, which is this. Research has shown that if you have four pieces uh, of anonymized credit card metadata, you've got a 90% chance of um, identifying the individual from those four pieces of data. So, If we're thinking about these massive amounts of data people would like to use, I think we really do have to be thinking about them as personal data as well, because it's so easy these days, because of the size of these data sets, to link them, to analyze them, to do the computational challenge on them, and to identify people, that we must be treating it as personal data. And we must be giving individuals, you know, the right information about, you know,
2: what we're collecting
1: their data, what we're doing with their data, um, what the requirements are for keeping it secure, et cetera. Obviously in Europe, we have very, very strong uh, data protection uh, regulation under the general data protection regulation. um, And I think those areas and methods will need to carry on uh, in the future to make it more robust.
4: So in terms of transparency and letting people know what you're doing with their data, um, what, what sort of things do, do organisations need to tell people?
1: I think people need to be informed, you know, what data is being collected, what purposes is being used for, especially if it's going to be used for areas of profiling or automated decision making. You know, people have to be aware of who's got their data and what they're doing with it. Um, you know, I think if you put... Uh, that information out there. Even as Ed said, some people won't read it uh, when they're downloading an app. But it is people have the opportunity to read it. And in certain certain circumstances, you know, you may need to seek their consent to do these things. Um, now, if you are seeking their consent, there may be limitations on that. You know, you may only be able to use uh, that consent until it's withdrawn, and it must be able to be withdrawn in order to be valid. So there are certain limitations around it. But again, it's something will need to be kept uh, in mind for those uh, trying to. Sort of purpose and
4: use the data? That's a very good point. Um, so in terms of what organisations can actually do with data they've collected, um, once they have this data, are, are the purposes that it can be used for limitless? How, how widely can data be used? Are, are there any limitations on, on what can be done?
1: And there most certainly are. You know, Under the, 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 the privacy regimes in, in most jurisdictions, there is a purpose limitation. One of the, you know, the sort of Attractive areas of these huge data sets is the ability to, to, to use the data in a number of different ways and certainly in novel ways. And engineers will always look at novel ways to use the data. But where it's personal data, it is very clear there is a purpose limitation. It can only be used for the explicit and legitimate purposes for which it was collected, but it can't be repurposed unless more notice or transparency has been given to the individual. So they're understanding that it's going to be used for a new purpose. Any sort of idea of scope creep, of using one form of data or one purpose for another purpose is just, I think, should be avoided at all costs.
4: Yes, I think it's very tempting for organisations to to, to allow scope creep to to occur with data sets if they're not very careful, because obviously it is such a a powerful thing and can provide so much useful information and insight into the behaviour of individuals. What, what other things do you think organizations should be keeping in mind in order to make sure they're compliant when using these huge data sets?
1: I mean, there are a number of things. I think sort of to, to name sort of three or four of the key ones. One, you know, that you are keeping all the data you have securely. That means both taking technical and organizational measures to ensure it's secure. Don't keep data for longer than is necessary. You know, there's often a desire to keep data uh, and keep accumulating it in the hope that you can use it for something in the future. I mean, that links back to my last answer about purpose limitations, So don't keep it for longer than you need it. Make sure that it's accurate. There's nothing worse for uh, analytics than inaccurate data. So make sure data is kept accurate and reviewed for those purposes. And then the other element, for, you know, thinking about data protection impact, if you are collecting data, if you think it's non-personal, but it could be personal, you're going to have to do an impact assessment to ensure you know how you're using that data and that data is being used lawfully. And then finally, if you are using personal data, think of the individuals, they have rights in that data, and how will you respect those rights, whether it's to access and provide information to individuals, or to delete the information, or even to transfer it to a third party. You'll have to consider those points as well.
4: I think that's, that's a very interesting point, particularly as people, uh, especially since the advent of the GDPR, are becoming increasingly aware of, of those rights, and, and they're not afraid to use them. So... So that's definitely something that organisations are coming across more and more, I think. Moving on to international transfers, uh, no discussion about data protection would be complete without touching on this. Uh, it's been an increasingly hot topic and even hotter last week since the CJEU's decision in Schrems 2. So what about transmitting data around the world? What should organisations bear in mind now in the light of that decision when transferring personal data outside of Europe, do you think?
1: Well, if it's personal data, nothing has really changed. The position has always been that in Europe, you can uh, use personal data and transfer it around Europe as long as it's protected, and you can transfer it outside of Europe as long as it has adequate protection. Now, the Schrems decision has challenged a couple of mechanisms that were used to ensure that protection was given to the data when it was transferring out of Europe. One was the privacy shield between the EU and US. That's now been found invalid and can't be relied on and the other was the use of standard contractual clauses where two organisations, one in the EU and one outside, contract with each other to say they'll protect data adequately. These were found to be valid with a sort of asterisk or qualification that those in Europe need to check uh, that there are appropriate safeguards in the jurisdiction to which the data will be transferred so it will have uh, the, the protection that it would have were it in Europe. So that's going to be a challenge, especially in the US, because we know that you know, Europe finds the US not to be adequate and regulatory surveillance operations in the US makes it a real privacy challenge. So there will be a, a hard tussle there, I think, for organizations. If you can't use the SCC the there are other derogations. I think they'll be challenging to use uh, in a sort of a big data, data analytics space, mainly because the use of the derogation is limited to, to the infrequent uh, and low number transfers. So, I think there will be a challenge there may be the ability to get individuals consent to it to purpose of transfers but you know we'll have to keep an eye on this space going forward
4: yes that um, that's certainly going to give organizations a lot of uh, food for thought about how how best to make sure data is protected when it's transferred internationally i think but increasingly organizations are using artificial intelligence in order to um, collate data analyze data make decisions based on the data what um, do you think the impact of artificial intelligence is and how, how does that affect the interplay with data protection rules?
1: I think one of the big challenges coming out of the use of artificial intelligence uh, is in fact being able to accurately provide transparent notice to individuals of what is happening with their data. So that individuals can be uh, confident that they know how their data is being used and how, it is, how it's being processed. Um, the understanding of artificial intelligence and machine learning and the algorithms behind that, which themselves are usually incredibly complex and often commercially confidential because they're giving market leading positions, becomes a real challenge when you have to balance that with sort of open notice and transparency. So, I think to me, that's one of the big areas of concern going forward.
4: Yes, I, I agree. And I, I think there's, there's also, as, as we touched on earlier, the the issue of automated decisions and profiling, which can often be made through. The use of artificial intelligence, but how, how important do you think explaining to individuals how those decisions are made if you're using AI is for an organization?
1: Yeah, I think it's critical, you know, and the level of granularity that you have to do it, to do it in is also very important. And we've seen that the European regulators really focus on granularity. So that does become a challenge because sort of, you, you have to balance you know, commercial sensitivity with, with openness and that's, there's always going to be a tension there.
4: Yes, definitely, I agree. Um, so finally, what, what are some practical things organisations should bear in mind to help them comply with, with data protection regulation when they're collecting and analysing big data for commercial purposes in particular?
1: From the outset, you've got to be clear and tell people what you're doing. So clear and transparent, well-drafted notice that people are aware of what's going on, where consent is used, make that clear and simple as well where you've collected a large amount of data, think about exactly what you need it for, if you've got that purpose limitation, streamline those processes so you're only getting what you need. And I think you know, looking at Shrems going forward, we'll also have to think about where you're hosting the data. We have heard a lot of talk recently about data localization and it not transferring so much internationally. That may be a problem going forward. Uh, but again, something that I think that all organizations should bear in mind is where they host their data.
0: Thank you all so much. And thanks to our listeners. Please stay tuned for part two, where we'll discuss using data ethically. For more information, please visit our website at www.robescray.com. And of course, if we can help you navigate any of the issues we discussed, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You can also subscribe to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.